the Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome to everybody, this is Christopher Rennie bringing another episode of the Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Holy Land. On the Land Grant Podcast Network, I'm here, as always, with Jordan Williams. How are we doing today, Jordan? Uh, I'm doing wonderful because I just got two pieces of shocking but good news. Uh, you know, somehow C.J. Stroud, uh, underdog story, he he's looking like an NFL quarterback, which nobody expected, including myself. So uh, happy about that. And um, after back-to-back podcasts uh, yelling about the Big Ten, the SEC just decided to one-up them by being a worse league and because it just means more. So I'm, I'm doing wonderful to have shocking things that no one could have expected, like C.J. Stroud being good and the SEC being too soft to go to nine games. So, I mean, Great surprises, great day. Uh, It's wonderful. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, For very similar reasons, Um, like this week, Ohio State's coaches talked to the media. You know, we just got that SEC announcement, so we could probably talk about that before we get into all the Ohio State stuff. And then, yeah, like you said, um, I don't know. I think we've been going to bat for C.J. Stroud for three years now, it feels like, since he showed up on campus, like – he has earned everything he's gotten, and I don't know why people didn't see that coming when it came to him getting drafted to the Texans. Like, I, I, I was confident. You were confident. I think that he's going to be we, – we've said it multiple times. We think he's going to be the best quarterback in the NFL Ohio State's ever had. So, I'm feeling good. Um, but, yeah, if you want to get into it, let's get into the SEC scheduling because you sent me an interesting tweet earlier. Um, this one started with it, uh, with the decision to go to eight games, two out of 14 of their teams will be playing 10 power five schools in comparison. Let me pull it up just so I make sure I have the numbers, right? I don't want to give some conferences too much credit. Um, the big 10 has 13 of 14 playing 10 power five opponents. The big 12 has 11 of 14. I'm pretty sure that one is uh, Michigan, by the way. Yeah, I think it is because they play two really rough schools right at the start. Um, Pac-12, 10 of 12, ACC, 10 of 15. So given all that, um, if they did go to nine games, they would all be pretty close to playing 10 Power 5 schools. But they chose not to. And I just don't think you could really put into words how weak that makes the conference look. And, you know, it's like I saw people making the arguments like 12 out of 16 of the last champions have been from the SEC, like all this stuff, you know. And that may be true, but it's not Georgia. It's not Alabama who they're letting dictate these decisions. And it was a big conversation topic we talked about last week when we brought up Northwestern's athletic director saying he didn't like the USC-UCLA move, it's like, you don't listen to your Northwesterns. You don't listen to your Vanderbilts, your Missouris. You don't listen to your Duke footballs. You don't listen to, um, you know, just name them in the conference. In the Big 12, it's a different team every year, so you really can't listen to any of them. But 
at the end of the day, the SEC likes to pride themselves on being the best conference, and I think you led with the best point. Um, they're not. And I think all this money that's going to these conferences are making them very much act like they don't need to improve the product they're putting out for the fans. Yeah. But and I'm going to earn the money. It's, it's multiple funny things about this. Cause one, you think about it, two out of 14, right? Okay. How many of their programs have rivalries against power five teams, not in the sec? It's at least two, which is probably the only two that's doing it. So it, it's, but uh, it's at least the two. South so Carolina and Florida are the two. South Carolina uh, plays Clemson. Florida plays Florida State. So it's probably those two who have it. Because two. They, then, oh, okay. So Georgia plays Georgia Tech, and they still don't have a ten-game conference. So I knew it was more than two. I knew it was at least three, maybe four. So there's there are more, more. too that I just can't think of off the top of my head. So it's like you have conference game, out-of-conference game that you play every year against an in-state rival, essentially, and even with that, you don't get to 10, so all three of your other games are against scrubs, and at least one of those three is probably against an FCS opponent. So you're getting nine Power 5 games, eight for some, one or two FCS programs, and then one or two lowly group of five. That is sickening. That's terrible. Um, that makes absolutely no sense. And then the other funny thing about it is this: one of the reports that I saw is like, well, they don't want to do it if they're not going to get any more money from ESPN. Well, so here's the funny thing. You're the one who went all in on ESPN with no outside partner. You now have absolutely no leverage. If ESPN tells you no, it's just no. You, you can't already signed pay. the contract. Well, oh, well, like if, if ESPN told the Big Ten no, they could just give it to Fox and Fox could just stream, could just have all of those extra games. With them coming with that, so if they, uh, it's 16, so two more teams is. I'm not great at math, but if they went to nine, right, two more teams is like 18 extra conference games. I'm not sure if that math is working out. We're just going to say it is. 18 extra conference games plus one extra conference game for the other 14 teams. That's potentially like 30 games of extra inventory. Technically, because, you you know, it's a better inventory, not extra because you're not creating a 13th game, but it's roughly like 30 games of better inventory, 30 games that you're not getting uh, against lowly FCS or group of five opponents. And when the Big Ten was Fox and ESPN, they could say, ESPN, give me more money. If ESPN said no, they will give all 30 games of content to Fox for more money. And Fox is going to take those, and ESPN is not going to have it. Now the Big Ten could split those 30 games and be like, hey, Fox, you better say yes, because if you don't say yes, NBC is going to say yes. And if they don't say yes, CBS is going to say yes. And if two of the three say yes, the third one's going to say yes, because they're going to want to split those games. Like, that's what happens. That's why the Big Ten was able to add two partners, because they have X number of more games roughly 18 more games with adding two more teams and staying at yeah. nine conference games. And they have no leverage because ESPN can just say, no, 
and ESPN's not giving them a fair market adjustment for UCL, uh, for uh, Oklahoma and Texas because I'm pretty sure there were just like some like base level agreement in their deal that like if you add it goes up by X amount but I don't think that's contingent on who they added I think it would go up by the same amount if they would have added Northwestern so you're already not potentially not getting a market extension for the two brands that you added and there's no guarantee that they give you more money for playing a conference game because you went all in on one network it's just dumb yeah. it's bad decision after bad decision bad, after bad decision for the conference that just means more and just and this, knows more and, 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 and does everything and, better and you know we got into Kevin Ward's mistake last week about giving away a championship game he didn't have the rights to and it's going to cost the conference 40 million dollars but in the grand scheme of things that's really small fish right and but that's also go, a person's mistake not a conference, not a conference. mistake yeah. not 14 and presidents was kind of in between like maximizing the value of the conference and giving his members stability. So what are all the ACC's problem tied to that 15 year grant of rights they signed? What is the SEC's issues like tied to that is being in one deal with one network. So where I think Kevin Warren still deserves a ton of credit and the Fox network for being open to this is negotiating with these other two networks and bringing them in because like the most profitable league in all of athletics all across the world, the NFL is not just on Fox. The NFL is not just on CBS. The NFL is not just on CBS. And even this last year, they gave ESPN such a small piece of the playoff pie, but guess what? They made more money because of it. And it's just one of those things where I think Greg Sankey is a little bit in the past as one of the older commissioners now. And I'm not saying he's not doing a good job. I think he's doing a better job than most commissioners. But that's not – the bar's not really high for that. Um, So I think the SEC, I just really think from a decision, I just never think it's the best idea to listen to your worst programs. And I don't think it's ever the best idea to tie yourself down to one television partner. Um, CBS paid a lot of money for that 230 game. They didn't want to deal with, or that 330 game, they didn't want to deal with more networks. And this is what they're getting now. They will not get more money than they des- like think they deserve. And it's just common sense. You created zero market for your product. So how are you supposed to... And literally every business, everyone knows that you have more business and more competition on an open market. And they didn't even go, even if you went with ESPN, they didn't even go to open market. They set, they signed the deal during the, um, what's it called? During the negotiating window. Yeah. So, uh, that's the negotiating window. Before yeah. Like, the- it's not the right name, but essentially it's the private negotiating window. Whatever the actual term is, when you have a contract, you get the chance to negotiate before it goes to open market. They didn't even see what ESPN wanted and then take it to other places and saying this is what they're offering. They just signed the deal. That's terrible business. And they're starting. And sure, they may win the next five national championships whatever like that like they are doing still good in certain areas they have like i'm not they have a 15 year record or something of having the most draft picks but that's not 
like people gotta understand that's not because the SEC is doing something different. Although aside from like breaking rules, which I mean Ohio State well, breaking and, rules, you too. know, just kind of geographically being located well, to. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's because of population trends. They have the best players because the best players live in the South, and even Missouri and Arkansas and some of these other teams are gonna get really good players occasionally because they want to play at the home school. It's harder to get players to. Penn State or to Maryland, well, not Maryland, Maryland has talent, but to like Rutgers and some of these other, to get them to, you know, uh, uh, Utah and some of these other places when all the talent is in the South. So, like, the SEC is quote unquote capitalizing on a geographical advantage, but they didn't do anything to create that advantage. They just lucked into it because that's where people live now, because it sucks to live up north. So, it's like, when they actually have a choice to make a decision to make the league better or more competitive, they almost always choose the wrong one. They're living off an inherent advantage, advantage and this is never going to happen, but if for like in 25 years, Florida fell off the map and half of California sank and everyone moved up north, the SEC would no longer be the best because the players would go locals again and all the talent would be up north. It's never going to happen, of course, but I'm just saying, like, they well, have never say never. No, I'm just kidding. They have this inherent advantage that they're capitalizing on, but they're not capitalizing on anything else because they're just making it worse on themselves. And it's just funny. I just find it funny. Like, nobody's perfect. No conference is perfect. I believe in Big Ten, uh, 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 Big Ten superiority because... I live in Big Ten country. I'm sure if anyone in the SEC stumbles on this, they're going to laugh and send it to their friends and call us idiots and, you know, try to rub the, the you know, the draft streak and the and the championships in our face, which all exists. Yeah. But business as a model, as making decisions, they're terrible. And last thing I got to say about it, unless you have something else, name what now Ohio State sacrifices – quote unquote for the Big Ten, of course, as they should, because it's a partnership. Name something that Ohio State would be behind that they couldn't get enough votes for. Name something. So why doesn't Alabama or Georgia, who is the best team in the league right now, why don't they have the pool to say, we're going to nine and get the votes? Alabama's AD, Georgia's AD, they're hem-hawing, saying, oh, we don't really care. We'll do whatever. And I think that's because they don't want to publicly say they want to do eight. But I think they wanted to do eight, too, even if they voted for nine. Only five people voted for, like, going to nine games. I didn't see the vote number. That's disgusting. So it's literally just like, like, there's literally, I can't think of too many things that are realistic, right? Like, if Ohio State was like, we're paying players, like, that's probably not going to happen. But if Ohio State wants something that's realistic, I can't see them not being able to get enough pool, get enough votes to literally do whatever they want to in the league. They're going to get Penn State on board. They're probably going to get Michigan on board, even though they're rivals. Those three together are going to get literally anything passed. Illinois, Rutgers, Maryland are probably just going to follow whatever Ohio State's going to do. Nebraska's going to talk trash, but nobody cares about Nebraska's vote. They're going to do what Ohio State does because they still think they're at the level of Ohio State. Right. So it's like if Ohio, if the Ohio State – not it's Northwestern, and that's because they know – 
They're going to get passed by no matter I what can, happens. I can tell you for sure that nobody's listening to what the hell Northwestern wants to do. Like, and so it's just funny. It's like, why are your top programs also not able to get this vote passed? And why are they not standing on the table for something that's best for the league? Because they are weak, too. Because they Georgia has one of the easiest schedules in the country this coming year. They enjoy that. And so it's just like... I just think, like, you know, again, right? Someone in the SEC is going to say, we have X national championships. We've done this. We've done that. Until the Big Ten. It's LSU. It's it's Alabama. It's Georgia. And it's Urban Meyer. Yeah. But until until the Big Ten starts winning more of these national championships, they're always going to have that. But I'm telling you right now, if Nick Saban retires and it starts to be 60-40 split, Big Ten SEC... I'm just saying, this SEC little stigma, it's going to drop really quickly. A lot of the SEC is being held up on the re- on the reputation of Nick Saban. Yeah, it's always been the truth, even when he was at LSU. Um, but, yeah, no, I think generally speaking, um, you, didn't, you don't really have to be good at business when everything is an advantage. So... They'll be fine. They'll make money. They'll probably have teams competing for a national championship next year. I mean, look at Georgia's schedule. I might pull it up. You've got the talented Tennessee Martin. You've got Ball State. You've got University of Alabama, Birmingham. Go Blazers. Like, that's a gauntlet, man. Your crossovers, Ole Miss. Like, your non-conference game is Georgia Tech. Like, I don't know how they're gonna survive. You're like they're. I mean, at least, at least on God, at least they have to travel to Florida. Oh, well, I mean, no, they well, kind of because that's a neutral site, and they have to travel to Tennessee. So like, you gotta right. go into na- Nashville to play Vanderbilt. Horrifying. Do we really believe that Tennessee is gonna be good this year? With I mean, listen. I get what he did in the bowl game, but um, I've seen Joe Milton at Michigan, and I saw him at Tennessee. Uh, We've been the biggest Clemson haters on the planet. So, like, we can't sit here and say that Joe Milton's going to be good and also say what we've said about Clemson. Yeah, like, I I don't know, man. Um, But, yeah, let's look at Alabama's real quick. Middle Tennessee, real, real Arm burner there. They've got Texas. I mean, I respect name on name. Uh, they oh, might lose that Texas game though. I'm just like, I hope they do. They should have lost. They should have lost it last I year. Would be. I would live a happy life. You know, like. I mean, who's playing quarterback? I mean, Tyler Buckner is not going to be great this and year. Tyler Buckner plays quarterback for them. They're losing. Yeah. Um, we, can, got we can South South Florida. Okay. That's her other non, and then Chattanooga later in the year. Those are non-conference games. Wow, just so tough. Um, crossovers are Tennessee and Kentucky. Yeah, That's interesting. That. I mean, again, if it was Tennessee last year or next year, potentially with Nico, I'd be a little bit more interesting. This year, I, I think Tennessee won yeah. seven games. Without I, looking at their schedule, hey. I would probably have Tennessee at seven games because I don't what? trust Joe Milton. I will say in rebuke to that, um, because I listen to everything Hendon Hooker says like he's the Pope. And if you guys know me, I don't listen to the Pope. Um, Hendon Hooker said he expects Joe Milton to win the Heisman and a national championship. So, 
I guess I guess Tennessee's gonna do that now. <laughs> um, but yeah, all jokes aside, let's get into some Ohio State stuff. Um, we're gonna start pretty easy news. Um, what's his name? Uh, God, what is it? Uh, Michigan. That's their name. Um, Peacock first game. That's Ohio State stuff. That's funny to me. They're the first team that's gonna be on Peacock. <laughs> Michigan's yeah. fan base is also leaning towards the older side of the demographic, so that is going to be extra fun. Yeah, I love that. Um, I do have one really, 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 really quick thing to say. A bunch of, and this only affects me because I'm a sicko and other sickos just like me, a bunch of people are complaining about the games being on like different apps and different things like that. I love that because when I pull up my two TVs, because I actually have a second TV now, because I won one, when I pull up my two TVs, my computer, and my tablet, one can be on YouTube TV or even two because I'm going to have the two screens, but then one can be on ESPN or Peacock or any of the other ones, and I'll be able to watch as many games as I want to without running into the, oh, you have too many screens. That's very much a millennial, I like technology thing, but I love it, because especially because all the games that are on NBC and on CBS are also going to stream at the same exact time on their apps. So if there's multiple games I want to watch, I can pull up the CBS sports app. I can pull up the Fox app and then have two of my, both my TVs on YouTube TV and be able to watch every game I want. Now, if you're not a sicko like me and you're not watching four games at once on four different devices, then I understand you complaining. Because, like, one of the podcasts, Stuart Mandel was like, I like the previous button. Like, yeah, I I'm a big like, flipper. I'm a big like a flipper. flipper. I'm not a flipper. I, if I find a game that I like, because I don't like missing things, I typically, I watch the commercials on that game. I hardly ever flip back and forth through games. Yeah. So, like YouTube TV, or it was Hulu last season. It's going to be YouTube TV this season because they've got the Sunday ticket now. Um, I, I'm a big flipper. So, like, when you see my recent guide, um, it's all college football games. I just scroll back up and down, pick them out. And then on the other TVs, usually I got the ESPN Plus on my iPad. Um, watching a smaller game that I care more about because I want it to be on the screen at all times, but which is kind of a weird thing to do. If you think about it, wouldn't I put that one on the big TV and not change it? Eh, but that's, that's just the way my brain works. Um, less control of the ESPN plus. So, um, other news, um, Mickey Marotti does not believe in science. Listen, man, I thought, uh, I don't know if you listened to our show, but uh, shout out to B1G Ryan, man. I thought he was crazy. Not even so much even thought he was crazy. I just, like, didn't care that much. And I'm like, I don't know if you're right or wrong because I don't know that much about strength performance, but I'm fully I'm fully on his side now. It's time for Coach Mick to go. Yeah, I, wait, I want to find the one about the grass. Um, asked about the discourse that grass is safer than turf. Um, you really got to look at what research is real, and you really got to look into all those numbers. Um, that is the most um, – I read something on the internet that fits my belief, so I'm going to go with that. And if that's wrong, I don't want to hear any other arguments because I did my own research type of attitude. And that's not what I want from someone in one of the most yearly evolving fields on the planet. 
Yeah, no, not at all. Like, and one of the things I was listening to the show, and one of the things that they were talking about is like, uh, so I guess B1G Ryan, he waitlist, but he also just cares about the stuff. Uh, he's like, uh, Columbus is one of the top five places in the world for bodybuilding and strength performance, i.e. why we have the Arnold Classic, which we've had for like 50 years. And it was like, Ohio State players, like, I didn't know this, but did you know, like, Michael Thomas stopped doing the workout program and started working out at one of the local gyms, and that's when he became an NFL player? Like, I guess, like, like Ohio State players regularly, and again, this is just his word. I haven't proven it, so if it's wrong, it's wrong, and I'm sorry for spraying it. It's like Ohio State players regularly in the offseason go to these local gyms for strength performance because Coach Mick's program is not doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah, uh, it feels very pick things up, put things down, um, get strong. When a workout, man, exercise science is so advanced now. Like there should be no excuse. And like this is the other one that stood out to me. Um, you know, uh, hold on, I'm looking for it again. Uh, Marathi says Ohio State analyzes what they can do better to prevent injuries. Um, last year was no different. He didn't think there was an abnormal number of soft tissue injuries. And albeit that might be true, there were not an abnormal amount of soft tissue injuries. But I don't know, maybe you guys listening, maybe you, Jordan, have noticed this as well. But it feels like Ohio State generally has more soft tissue injuries than other no, they absolutely do. He was lying to us. They absolutely, I mean, both of the running backs out with like feet and ankle issues. You have the best wide receiver in the country out with a hamstring. Like you have players just randomly miss. Mike Hall can't stay healthy. Just little soft inter- uh, tissue injuries. Like it's definitely more. Like I don't it's, keep track of it. Feels like but, more than everybody else. Um, I mean, like Joey, Joey, uh, Nick Bosa with his core. Like um, we're not like looking at every other team's roster. Roster, right, but it doesn't feel like you hear Florida fans complaining. Hey, yeah, we've got all these people out with like unknown issues or hamstring issues. And I don't know when you were gone on your honeymoon. Me and Matt kind of talked about this as well. It's like one of the big issues with the injuries at Ohio State is we actually don't know what they are ever. So, like, what does that mean? We're going to get left up to imagination. So we're going to think the worst. Um, but reality of it all is if Ohio State's just like, yeah, he has a pulled hamstring or, oh, yeah, then we'd really be able to hold Marathi accountable. We'd really be able to know, oh, yeah, this was actually a freak injury. Like that just kind of happened on the field. Like unless it's like Lathan Ransom in the Rose Bowl where he broke his leg, we do not know what the injury is. Yeah. And I, I just think like – and so – and. Ultimately, right, two examples. One, which is very, very, very new, Jim Knowles immediately all offseason has taken account uh, accountability for his mess-ups and his play calls and his rotation and things like that. And he's talked about how he's learned. One thing that I saw today is him talking about playing more people because he's used to being at schools where he only had 11 or 12 people who could run his defense. Where at Ohio State, you can go too deep at almost every position. 
he's talking about his play calls and things like that. For the first time in his career, Ryan Day admitted accountability for doing something wrong when he talked about how he was preparing and how he coached the Michigan game. I saw that article today. I always say Ryan Day is going to learn. It's going to it's just going to be a year late. He's finally taking outward accountability and not just saying we're doing the right things. You know who hasn't taken any accountability? Mick. Has he no taken accountability. accountability in the eight or nine years he's been at Ohio State? No, which is probably part of the reason they don't let him talk. I would love to know how different his workout program at Notre Dame in 2001 with Bob Davies on like that staff with that Urban Meyer was on before he went to Bowling Green, how different it was back then compared to now in 2023. I would love to see that. That would be some investigative journalism that I would like to do. I bet you it's not that different. I bet you it's way too close than it should be. Um, I mean, everyone knows squats, bench. You know, everyone knows the basics. I could probably do as good as Mickey Marotti if I'm being 100% honest. I wouldn't put it past you. I don't think I'd. If you work out at Planet Fitness, if you work out at the RPAC and you have a workout plan, you're basically Mickey Marotti. And that's the thing, like, like the whole thing with, like, Caden uh, Curry, right? Caden Curry says he put on 15 pounds and felt slow. And then Coach Mick blamed it on him. He literally was like, yeah, freshmen come in and think they need to gain more weight. Bruh, that's not how it works. Literally, it's yeah, it's, it's freshmen hilarious. are coming in and thinking, yeah, I got to put on. They Freshmen are coming in and doing exactly what they're told to do. Literally, like, you telling me Caden Curry comes in and tells Coach Mick what his goals are? Like, hey, I want to put on 15 pounds and Coach Mick. No, Coach Mick tells him, hey, you need to do this. You're going to put on 15 pounds. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And on top of that, they are the ones who pick almost, if not all of their meals. They give them the workout shades. Like, they weigh them weekly. I've seen it at Kent State, which is much smaller. One of my friends um, played at West Virginia, which is not as high of a level as Ohio State. And I know they do it even more at Ohio State. The dude I know that played at West Virginia got weighed weekly. They And they took pictures of him weekly. He literally had pictures of his progression. They take pictures. They weigh you weekly. They watch what you eat. They feed you. They give you a, their meal plan on what you're supposed to do and how many protein shakes and all this other kind of stuff. It is very regimented. And it is very much like them telling you when and how and what and and who and all this other kind of stuff like you don't control that and what Dewan Jones is eating is different than what Donovan Jackson is eating which is different than what Mike Hall is eating which is yeah. different than what Sonny Styles is eating which is different like, than what CJ Stroud is eating is not going to come in and gain 30 pounds because he ate the same things Dewan Jones was eating no. to lose 60 pounds like it, it's it, it's idiotic and it, it's it's disingenuous for him yeah. To put it on a freshman for gaining 15 pounds when every single freshman gained even 15 pounds. If, even if your goal as a kid coming in is to put on 20 to 25 pounds, it is your job as the athletic director in charge of 
fitness and performance or whatever his actual title is to say, no, that is not where your peak is going to be. That is not where you're going to be maximized as a performer. Right. That like your body can't hold 15 pounds. Your frame does not do that. If you gain 15 pounds, you're going to lose your speed, which is what makes you special. If anything, when Caden Curry got here, I thought maybe he could be a little leaner. Because he's uh, already kind of a thick guy. I didn't think that. He came in at like 245. I think he needed to stay at 245 or max 250. Just redefine himself. Yeah. Just like keep the same weight, maybe five pounds max because muscle weight more. And then just, you know. I don't know if he came in with a six-pack. Leave with a six-pack. I'm just going to let you know. Body fat percentage. But he didn't need to get to 265. His 245 was looking a lot different than my 245. Hey. Just saying. Now he he puts on 20 pounds. I just know if I put on 20 more pounds, I would not move nearly as well. So, (laughs) yeah. Where Mick Murad was wrong again. Um, on the other side of it, um, the other coach who wasn't part of the offense or defensive signs was obviously Parker Fleming um, on punt returners. Um, I thought it was funny. He, he acknowledged that the internet like blew up about like Marvin Harrison being back there, but he's just like, yeah, I mean, we just like to, I mean, it's a good thing to know how to do, but he's like, no, it's not. <laughs> Marvin Harrison knows how to do enough stuff. <laughs> yeah, Marvin he's Harrison doesn't need to punt return. That's basically what he was saying. He's like, the internet loved it, but he's not returning punts. And then he named the names that were, and he's like, Lorenzo Styles, um, guys who probably aren't going to have major roles on the offense or defense. I'm like, yeah, that too should be returning bunts. Someone disposable with someone explosive. Yeah. Um, if Marvin Harrison or young guy about catching a punt, someone needs to slap him awake. Like, yeah. don't, don't even There's not a single situation where he should be catching a punt. Not a single one. Um, I'm trying to find where who he said was returning punts. I lost the um here it is. I got it. Um, where I was pulling the quotes from. Um, Jaden Ballard and Carnell Tate. Yeah, those guys as freshmen. And, well, Jaden Ballard, not a freshman, but. Carnell Tate was one of the best punt returners in high school. Like, I'm pretty sure they said he was one of the best, like, returners in IMG history. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's who should do it. <laughs> yeah. If you put any Jaden Ballard or Carnell Tate out there, I'm going to be fine with it. And then Aguka is really good at returning kicks. So, you know, have him ready. You as don't want him to be your lead returner. Yeah, he's a, have him ready. he's a, he's a, he's a uh, in my opinion, because you should be able to train them if you're good at your job. Your punt and kick returner should always be a freshman or sophomore. And if they do it for one or two years, and then when they become a junior, unless they're just the best in the country, and they should no longer do it anymore. Because at that point, they should be one of the best returning wide receivers in the country or best returning safeties or defensive backs and should focus full time on the field and getting to the NFL. But your freshmen, if they want to earn that letter, they want to get on the field, they return punts, kicks, and then on the other side, they go and tackle people. 100%. Um, Additionally, on the special team side, just because I realized how little I cared about special teams. Again, like, I used to love special teams when I was a special teams guy. And, like, slowly I've just been like, yeah, I just don't need to know this information. <laughs> Fielding and Lewis are both competing still for the kick duty. Um, both have big legs. Both have bigger legs than Noah Ruggles. So, you know what? I'm good. Either one. Whoever wins, just make the kicks. Yeah. And then um, 
I'm pretty sure John Furlman, the Arizona State transfer long snapper, is like considered like one of the best, if not the best, in the country. So, no news there that Max Lamonico is going to back him up. Bet you didn't think I'd pull both names out, listener. But I didn't. That, so. <laughs> Um, and then lastly, um, he, I forgot Jake Siebert transferred. Um, I forgot Jake Siebert was on the team. And then I remembered he was the guy who was playing corner just to hold on to a scholarship hmm. for an extra semester. So good for him, Northern Illinois. Um, you've got a kicker. Uh, I wasn't going to say good or bad kicker. You've got a kicker. He exists and he does kick the ball. One way or the other, um, the ball does get kicked. That's all I can tell you. Um, we can get started. I think it's time. Let's just get to the offensive coaches now. We got through our news. We got a little bit more additional news in the beginning. Um, but, yeah, offensive coach recap here. Um, I think what I learned from Brian Hartline is he is very comfortable with where he's at. And I don't know if I like how comfortable he is. Interesting. Um, when you could talk about, you know, you know, can you imagine this situation here? A couple of the players, you know, over the age of 21 go out and they're having fun. Like, you know, I'm sure you go out, Kate Silver's got his farm. I'm sure they have some UTVs and, you know, you're having a few beverages, you know, brown out and they crash and the cops are called. How do you think that's handled? I know all of it's going to be handled internally anyways, but the fact that he's like the head coach or the offensive coordinator is like, yeah, it was a huge learning experience for me. And it feels like there really wasn't any punishment for it besides like, hey, don't do that again. That's a little too comfortable. Yeah. Um, sorry. Um, <laughs> Oklahoma State's softball coach might as well as be Mike Gundy's brother. Like, hair, build. I'm like, damn, does this man coach both? <laughs> like, he coached football and softball? <laughs> <That's> so <funny. laughs> uh, uh, yeah, sorry. Um, I'm watching softball. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I don't know, man. It's I think that's one of those receivers. He's still going to get five stars, you know. Yeah, it's like you take it all into consideration. It's not going to change anything. But then, before you go, I have one more thing. Um, He he literally said, "I feel pretty comfortable. I'm very honored with the role I'm in. I'm not taking it lightly." But I don't want you to feel comfortable. Yeah. So I'm going to feel comfortable as a receiver coach, not as the offense coordinator. Yeah, I'm really torn by this, and and this is why. I'm torn by it because I listened to him talk about, like, his mindset and, like, he has to think that he can beat up everybody in the country and he has to think that he's the best at everything and things like that. And it's like, okay, is is he just, like, an ultra-competitive person and that's what that is and maybe that's what I like because he has that dog in him? Or is he too comfortable and doesn't actually understand the position that he's in? And it's really hard for me because I didn't want him to be the offensive coordinator when he hadn't proven it anywhere else. But it's like, I feel like I just have to go all in on the bandwagon because like he is the offensive coordinator and I want him to do well. So, but I 100% understand where you're coming from. I just don't know how to feel about it. Like, should I like 
should I be mad about it or should I just kind of like accept it and be like, hey, our offensive coordinator got that dog in him and he's he's going to do well. Um, so, but either way, I do agree that like, even if you feel that way, you should probably have slightly better media training and shouldn't just say that because if one of the players did it, there would be legitimate consequences. And we know that there's an, an equity with sports and there's also just an inequity in any sort of like power dynamic between, you know, like person and employee. Like I'm sure my supervisor could get away with things that I can't get away with because they're my supervisor. So yeah, but it's still, it's still like, come on now. I I do kind of want you to recognize more of where you're at and, and what you're doing and what you're saying. And at least, you know, I don't know if like, I don't know. Yeah. Just say a little bit more remorse, a little bit more apology. Like, yeah. Um, just don't brush it off. Like, it was a big deal. It, being the offensive coordinator is a big deal. Calling plays is a big deal. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a big deal anywhere, but especially at Ohio State. Um. Yeah, but now we get down to the business side of things. I, I just had to. I just had to get that off my chest a little bit. Um. But one thing I think is really interesting is Joe Philbin. He was not a very good NFL coach, but still, to get to the level of where one of the thirty-two NFL teams will hire you, it does take quite a bit of good coaching to get there. Um, I just think that's interesting to have your former coach in the building and he's basically going to be his like assistant, helping him kind of learn the ropes. And he was an NFL offensive coordinator and stuff. So I think that's just an interesting dynamic to have. And I think when you're thinking about the value of an analyst position, this is exactly what it should be used for. Yeah. And I honestly think one of the better things about all of that is he's also an offensive line coach. So he's also going to help out Justin Fry, even if that's not his direct you know, position. But having someone in there that is was was one of the best off. Like he's I hate this. I hate to say this, but like he's almost like um, uh, Brian Ferentz. You know, maybe he went a little too high. Maybe he's not great as a head coach, but he's one of the best offensive line coaches in the country kind of thing. So I think that that is also an added benefit on top of, obviously, the most benefit is going to go to Brian Hartline. Yeah, without a doubt. And that's the thing. Like, when you are a professional receiver, when you've been so built and so your career has been so much through the passing game, through, you know, you don't know. You're probably not learning that much on the offense line as a receiver, even if you try to know the entire offense, right? So I, I think when you're going to try to make a more holistic coach out of someone, this is a great asset to have. And it's not like he's not – he's bringing so much experience. Like, the guy's been a coach since 1984. Um, that is the complete opposite of where Brian Hartline is, where he's been a coach at Ohio State. So I think that's important. I think that's something good to know and something good to have in your pocket. And – like you said with Justin Fry, he's still a young coach. I mean, he's still working his way up. He's got a lot to learn. Um, God, who's the other one? Tony Alford. I mean, I, I don't know much how much more he has to learn about running back coaching, but like you have that wealth of experience there at your disposal. You have one of the best offensive line coaches in the NFL at your disposal. Like This is a great opportunity for the entire offensive staff to learn. And I know there's like a few Dolphins fans. I know uh, Michael Citro, the grumpy old Buckeye, was like, man, this is giving me nightmares because he was not a good NFL head coach. We could be clear about that. 
but he was really good at his job before that. That's, I mean, he was so good at his job before that they gave him a head coaching job. So, um, and he wasn't the worst head coach. He was average, 24 wins, 28 losses. There's a lot more worse coaches in the NFL than that. Yeah, a lot of them exist. One of them is a former uh, alumni of sorts of the great Ohio State University. Yeah. Uh, the worst coach in tenure of all time. Um, last thing on the art line list, um, the receivers are good. We don't need to hear more about them. Yeah, don't even, don't even talk about them. Um, I mean, Dennis we'll Thomas. Any, uh, any let's, get content, to, of course. let's get to our guy, Corey. Um, Corey Dennis, that is. Um, future head coach, Corey Dennis. Um, talked about elite traits. Um, yeah, you know, I think when you look at Ohio State quarterbacks, like a lot of people – when listening to um, outsiders, they're like, yeah, like, I don't know if these guys have it. But Corey Dennis literally straight up said it. He's like, they're here, like, for a reason. Like, they have elite traits, like, elite characteristics. Like, they wouldn't be here competing for that job if they didn't. Like, if they didn't believe that these two quarterbacks couldn't win the job, you think Sam Hartman would be at Notre Dame right now? I would hope so. I'd hope they'd find someone better, but to your point, generally yes. one of the like better quarterbacks on the market, you don't think they would have got one of the best ones on the market. You and don't think did. someone across the country who's more talented wouldn't be like, there's an opening in Ohio State, I'm going to go there? I was literally just about to say that. Like, uh, We know tampering exists. They, they're going to pull a starter from another program. Like, hey um, – like, I mean, they're not going to pull Drake May. And I'm, please do not get me wrong by saying that they should get this guy. But if they like Tyler Van Dyke, you don't think they could pull him from Miami? Yeah. 100%. Like, you don't, like, you don't, like, they wouldn't because they played him and they know he's not good. But you don't think they could have got Tyler Buckner? Like, they, I don't think that there's too many quarterbacks in, in any position anywhere that they couldn't have got it if they, if they really needed them. Yeah, without a doubt. So I really appreciated Corey Dennis kind of just like going straight to the point with that because I do think a lot of people get over-concerned or like, is this guy going to be the guy? Is this guy going to be him? It's like whoever wins the Ohio State starting quarterback job deserves it. And, you know, you're going on – we're going on about like these two guys. Tristan Jebby was a multi-year starter at Oregon State before he got hurt. Um I saw him live throw in person. He's not a slouch either, and he didn't look close to McCord or Devin Brown. And that's like that's just what it is. And he's 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 our age, so yeah. And I think that's the thing. Like, there's a lot of things that I'm not gonna blindly trust Ryan Day about, but I think he's earned the 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 trust of the quarterback position. Like, I think he's earned the trust that whoever he picks is gonna do it right. People didn't believe in C.J. Stroud, and he turned out to be one of the best quarterbacks in Ohio State history. And I know people argue with this about, like, arguing me about it. I literally, I think I had someone left, like, a three-star review on the podcast because I said that, and it, it made them so mad. But I'm not talking about resume. I know you didn't passes Michigan. Over I know two you years. Went, yeah, like, 
we are never going to argue his resume being the best because it's, it's clearly not. We have national championships in our history, but he is one of the best quarterbacks in Ohio State history, and everyone wanted him fired and replaced. And he's the most pro-level quarterback Ohio State's ever had. Yeah, but also people, it's the same people who are like, I don't know about Kyle McCord, are the same ones that wanted Kyle McCord to start two years ago over C.J. Stroud. So it's like, yeah, you trusted it two years ago, just trust it now. Dude, there's people who are like, we just need to start linking Keynotes. Like, that's the thing about the quarterback competition. It's like, it brings the worst out of a lot of people. Um, that's why I think we, like, we joked the Devin Brown uh, brigade, the Kyle McCord militia. At the end of the day, we're, it's Ohio State football. Like, no militia, no brigade. Whoever wins that job is going to be thrown to Marvin Harrison, is going to be thrown to Mekeg Buka. And we aren't really going to truly know how good they are until they play at Penn State, until they play at Wisconsin, until they play at Michigan. Like, that's just really where it is. That's what we're at. Yep. And the best part is, and we've said this time and time again, and I'm sure, you know, to continue on with what Corey Dan said, it's like they're still in the learning process. Like, I know everyone wants to talk about the quarterback competition, but we're still in the process of worrying about yourself and getting better. Like these guys can't truly lock down this job until like they improve every single week. And by the time you get to fall, you're hoping that improvement's been there because like we've talked about, you want this thing to be done with two, three weeks before the first game. Yeah. And if it's not, that means seven Brown's doing better than most thought. Because I don't think Kyle McCord has done a bad job so far. Yeah, I think the other thing to remember, and I'm largely saying this to myself, Ryan Day said that. he Literally, the things that he's saying about Kyle McCord, he said about C.J. Stroud at the same exact point. Yeah, he hasn't gone out and won the game. I wish that I could name somebody, but the competition is just close, this, that, and the third. And he's lying. So... I'm not as confident in him lying about McCord as I was in him lying about Stroud, but he did lie about Stroud. He did try to say that that competition was much closer than everyone, and I do believe, genuinely believe that this competition is close. That's not what I'm saying. But the underplaying the quarterbacks, the saying they haven't separated themselves, the saying that they're not showing enough and all of that kind of stuff, he said that about everybody. Except maybe Justin Fields because that was a fake ass competition. But he still tried to pretend it was a competition. He still said that. Though. He still so did pretend. It's like like you can't take everything they say for. Uh, you got to take what they say for a grain of salt because some of it is just motivation. Some of it is like, hey, I'm gonna tell the world you suck so that you think you suck and you come out better. Now. This is not me saying that Kyle McCord is going to be C.J. Stroud or Justin Fields or any of them or Devin Brown because I'm of the belief that Ohio State's probably going to take a step down in quarterback eventually. Their last three or four quarterbacks have all, like, they Jake, um, JT set every record possible. And then Dwayne was the first round pick after one year. And then Justin, Justin Fields is better than Dwayne. And then uh, T.J. was a better pro prospect. It's just like they've gotten better each year, and they can't continue to get better each year. Otherwise, it's going to be like – like, I just don't even know the words for it. Eventually, you're going to have a Michael Jordan playing quarterback for Ohio State, like the equivalent to whatever that is, if they keep getting better. Yeah. So it's like – You know the best part about it, though? None of it matters if the offensive line is bad. I don't even want to talk about it right now, even though we're going to talk about it because it's in our player to watch. 
Yeah, it's it's there. It's coming. Um, two quick ones. Um, Tony Alford talked about having the deepest room he had. Um, you know, the best part about not having a lot of depth is when that depth is tested, everyone gets experience. So this year, Ohio State has four running backs who have been the lead back for at least a game for Ohio State. And that's pretty crazy to think about. Um, and then they have Evan Pryor, who in the spring game looked like one of the freakiest athletes Ohio State had on their roster. And then additionally, you have Xavier Johnson, who's a receiver, but Tony Alford literally hinted at will be working some running back. So that is like six dudes who can take the ball to the house. Crazy. Um, lastly, Justin Fry says he's confident if Fryer as left at, in Fryer at the at left tackle the season started today. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be bad. I, I really think he's going to be good 10 out of 12 games. It's those two games against the best teams on the schedule that you worry about with this offense line. And while I think he was overrated, luckily Notre Dame doesn't have Isaiah Foskey anymore, so he's probably not really going to be tested until Penn State. Like, like yeah, not that Notre Dame is going to be a scrub, but they don't have Isaiah Foskey. Unless they have yeah. one and we just don't know about it yet. But I feel like he would have played opposite Foskey last year, so I'm just, I think it's pretty safe to assume that they don't have a potential first-round pick on their roster right now. Because yeah. it's definitely not Brennan Vernon. They still have the, big, the other big white dude that's not Brennan Vernon. And... Like, so they got two Brennan Vernons, basically. And I don't know who's on the other side at their Viper position. Um, and then lastly, Tagger, Mahalski, embracing competition with Simmons. Like, I, that's one of those ones, like, Coach B, like, what else was he going to say? Right. Like, what else are the players going to do? Like, he's here. Like, I guess we got to embrace it. Um, but, yeah, before we get into our players to watch, we're going to take a quick word from our sponsors. Um listen to them they're more important now um and we will see you after the break welcome back in everybody this is christopher Remy bringing another episode of the book off podcast on the land grant podcast network hopefully you guys are enjoying the show with us today we're talking real football real stuff to the furthest extent possible um, but yeah i mean left off with the offensive line embracing competition. Um, one other thing, Joseph Fry feels very confident on the interior depth. Um, that's a good sign. The only thing is we don't need more guys in the middle. We need more guys on the outside. I, yeah. We, I, I, I mean, hey, I trust Justin Fry. If he says he feels fine with the depth, I'll allow him to say it. I think we need depth all across the line, but you know, this is this is one of the areas where I'm okay being lied to. Like this is one of the lies. Like you know, like sometimes there are lies that you're like hoping for. You're like, yes, please tell me the offensive line. Yeah, this like, made me feel a little better. Me. Yeah, like like please that's lie to me about this one. <laughs> like, I'm thinking so much about the tackles and like how they perform and how that's going to look. That like you know what I I will believe anything you say about the interior offensive line. I won't believe yeah. the single thing you say about the tackles, but I will believe every single word you say about the guards and the center. Because if if you really if you really think about it, um, the center is a sophomore, uh, and both of the guards should be in the NFL draft next year. So, and who's playing after that? Nick Vamahi, the guy who couldn't get on the field for, for six years, and Austin Saraveld, who's going to be a sophomore next year. Like they actually don't have depth there, but like, hey, 
that's not for me to talk about. Not yeah, right I, now. I'm I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. If he says it's good, it's good. Justin Fry says jump. I say how high unless it's about the offensive tackles. <laughs> then it's like, uh, you jump. <laughs> yeah. All right. But, yeah, let's get into it. So it's players to watch week at Land Grant Holy Land. We've all been kind of writing our articles on the players that we're most excited to see, the players we think are going to have huge impacts. Um, but, yeah, I think – We'll just go through lists. These, I think we could just do them quick hitters. Um, we'll do. I'll do mine first. We, we do yours next. Then on defense, you go first. I go second. Um, but yeah, I'll go through my four that I wrote down. I've got Chip Trainum. Um, I just maybe I'm living too much off the spring game. Maybe I'm living too much off of what all the other players said about him last off season and this off season. But he got a lot of reps. He's probably comfortable in this scheme. He was playing at a heavier weight last year because he was trying to play linebacker. And I just don't know in good faith if I can withhold excitement when I see a 235-pound man out running an Ohio State defensive back. Next on my list, I got Cade. Cade Silver, he's my favorite, best football player in the country. Josh Fryer, left tackle. I'm going to be watching him. He's not a player to watch I'm excited about. He's a player that I need to watch just to watch. And then lastly, Carnot Tate, like, is he going to play? How much is he going to play? I know he's getting hyped up. Hopefully he could be the punt returner. But I think he's going to carve out a real one, and I think he's going to be impactful. I think he's going to take the Garrett Wilson, the Chris Olave, the Marvin Harrison Jr. type of route where he has a few big moments late in the year as a freshman, and it really sets up sophomore success. I agree 1 million percent with everything that you just said, especially the Carnot tape thing. He is the next great, and we haven't even seen Brandon Ennis, so let's go. You know what? I'm going to start. I'm going to start a competition. I think Carnot Tate's going to be better than Brandon Ennis. As long as Carnot Tate is so good that Brandon Ennis is also great and Carnot is just better, I'm fine with that. Like if it's like like if it's like Garrett Wilson is better than Chris Olave, sure. You can argue that as much as you want to. Because they're both great and they both are in the NFL. Like as long as it's that, like I don't need it to be like Jackson Smith and Jigba is um, better than Julian Fleming. That's like well, okay, like But if we're gonna argue like Garrett Wilson or, or, or JSN, like hey, we can have that all day. You can pick whichever side you want to as long as they're both great. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think I don't know. I'm I, I like am I am I drinking too much of the chip train of Kool-Aid? I know mine's gonna be back. I know Travion's gonna be back. I think he's the true number three right now. I mean I'm not going to say you're drinking too much of the Kool-Aid. I just hope it doesn't matter. Like, it's if, good if, if we see it, if, if, like, Chip being that matters, that probably means, like, Trey didn't come back to what he was supposed to be or we're dealing with a bunch of injuries. And that's just a negative for me. Like, if, Trip, if Chip is very good, I, I just feel like that has to be a negative in, like, a weird sense because great for him, but, like, we shouldn't have to see him that much, if that makes sense. And no team has three great running backs, right? Like, 
you don't have that many snaps. We don't play uh, the wishbone. We don't play the the wing T, right? Like we're not gonna have three great running backs. Like I need Chip to have no more than like 450 yards rushing this year. It can be a couple couple touchdowns, but if he has anything more than that, then I, I feel like we had some injury concerns or, or something weirds happening. So I don't think that you're wrong. I yeah. just really hope that it doesn't matter and you don't get proven right because. I just feel like that's not like, a great sign. If he goes on a tri- on a Trey Sermon level run, like I don't think any of us will be complaining about it. Oh, absolutely not. But like, if he has to play as much running back as like, I don't know. I would like so the one thing we need we're, we're probably I think this is true this year they're going to rely more on three backs because obviously Henderson's shown he, he doesn't have the durability. Obviously Williams has shown he gets banged up. Like. And, like, I don't know if Williams is a freak injuries or not. He's had a mixture of both. I wish they talked about it. But there's going to be a need for three or four running backs. There always is to some extent. And we talked about it before. When they were healthy, it was like one guy got 200 carries, one guy got 100, one guy got 50. I could see it being like 175, 125, like 80. And I'm sure these backs will do plenty of damage with however many carries they get. I mean, if it's like that, that's fine, I guess. 80 still a lot, but, I mean, it's fine. I, I, maybe I'm just being a Debbie Downer. I just have a, I have a hard time seeing Chip having a great season as a good thing. It's just like the same thing with, like, and people are going to hate me for this, but it's just the same thing with, like, C.J. Hicks, right? If C.J. Hicks has 70 tackles, it probably means Tommy got injured, and I can't be excited about that. Yeah. It's just, it's hard. Like, I, I would love to see it, but we have a top two running backs for a reason, and I would very much rather them go off and Chip have, like, 20 carries than Chip have 50 carries and a whole bunch of yards because I, I just don't see that that's going to be a good thing for our depth if that happens. But maybe that's me being negative, and I will accept if people view that as me being negative. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I don't want to, like, you just want to see everyone make it through the season. And whoever yeah. rises to the top in that situation, then it doesn't matter. But if someone's banged up, if someone's hurt, like, then it sucks. Um, who else we got? Um, yeah, and then outside of that, I mean, we're, I'm, I'm watching Cage Sober. I want our tight end to be. A guy. I want a 40 catch tight end. I think he could do it. Is that what is the record? Is that the record? 36, right? 40, like something 30, like that? Yeah, 36. Uh, the guy in the 90s. I always forget his name. Um, lastly, all right. So we who, who do we have on your list of players to watch on the offensive side? So, yeah, on my list, uh, we have Pegra, of course. Here's the thing. You're good. I still have faith that Tegra is going to win the right tackle job. But regardless of who wins the job, right, I think Tegra needs to be the sixth best offensive lineman on this team. Whether because he has guard tackle versatility, I think he needs to be the sixth best offensive lineman. If he's not the fifth best, if he's not the starter, I think he needs to be the sixth best. It's fine if Josh Simmons comes in and beats him. It's fine if Zim McCausey comes in and beats him. But if he is not playable, if he is not, he could start. Again, it's it's a, it's just like the the Garrett Wilson uh, Chris Olave thing. I needed to be like we favored this guy, but I could start either of them, 
and be fine with it. And if that's not what happens, we're going to have a problem. And it's very much like we like we talked about with the quarterbacks. Like, I'm going to rock with whoever they choose because that means that they were the best for the job. Even though they say integra, 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 right? I, if he doesn't win the job, that's fine. But he needs to be playable. He needs to be in a position where they would be fine with him having won that job. They're just a slight preference for someone else. And so that's what I'm watching more than anything. Although you all listen to this show, you know I like being right. I would love it if I was right and he won the right tackle job. Um, but as that player that has guard tackle versatility, we're going to need him, especially because we talked about the depth. Uh, the other guy is Carson because Carson, I, I I believe he's already won the center job. I think it's his job. He needs to be good at it. We've talked about this a lot. It can't be Carson won the job because he's the best of scrubs. It needs to be Carson won the job because he's the next he's good center. center and he's going to get drafted in the third or fourth round. Like, so, I mean, I feel like that one's self-explanatory. And then the last one, Travion Henderson. And, and this kind of goes into to the point that I was making with Chip. I want the old Trey back. Like, I want the Trey that's like, damn, is this kid going to be a first-round pick? And if he's not, he's going to be taken in the first 40 because someone's going to trade up for him in the second round, and they're going to laugh and be like, damn, how'd y'all let this guy slide? Yeah. Like, that's, that's what I want from him. So I'm going to be watching him. I really hope, like – it's, I think so many people forgot what he was because he was so of good as a freshman and things like that. But like he was so, I mean, they were invoking the name of one of the best running backs in Ohio State history. Like, come on, man! Like, I I want to see it. I want to see the tray that has five carries, a hundred yards, and, and two touchdowns against Indiana, and gets to sit out for the rest of the game. Like, so watching for him. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I was just going back to look at his game log real quick. Like, 28 carries, 152 yards against Penn State as a freshman. That's a real game. Um, Nine carry, like, 24. Remember when he single-handedly beat Tulsa? Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Against yes. Tulsa, but we needed every single one of those 277 yards and three touchdowns. Like, he we, has a level of explosiveness, like, that no one else in the running back room has. He has a level of shiftiness. Um, I, I think we had warranted frustration last year, even with his foot injury. Like the issue, and I think Tony Alford talked about this a bunch. When you have guys like Williams, when you have guys like Henderson, like, and they're splitting carries and they're not the workhorse like they always have been, they're trying to hit home runs on every play. And they forget that the home runs come from, you know, when you're in that wide zone waiting for that crease to open and then using that level of burst and speed to hit it and go. Which is what Chip did in the spring game, which is why you're so high on him. And it's just one of those things where trust the blocks, trust the playtime, trust that your 15 carries, if you just play to the blocks, if you play to the play side – it's going to open up. You're going to have your home runs. And it's up to you once you get to that second level to make it a home run. But you can't right. do that dancing around, running horizontally back and forth in the backfield, especially when you're doing it on a broken foot. Yeah, like the home runs come from playing the game the right way. Like when you read, you find the right hole, you read the play correctly, you follow your blocks. Wow, shockingly, it's now you and a safety by itself, and you should win that nine out of ten times. And when you win that, it's touchdown. Hundred percent. It's no one's catching him, and that's that's what I want to see from. I want to see him trust the blocks. I want to see him trust the scheme, and I want to see because he he doesn't. I I think watching 
And it, it's a very similar scheme. It wasn't just in Fry's last year, but watching US, UCLA with Zach Charbonnet, watching some of their backs just excel and just not because they're super fast, not because they're super athletic. They were still hitting big plays in the run game with those pin pulls, with those different types of running teams because they were letting those blocks set up. And then, boom, 40 yards later. For Trey, if he trusts those blocks and Ohio State makes those blocks like I was seeing with Chip Kelly's UCLA team, those are touchdowns. Those aren't getting caught. Those aren't 30-yard, 25-yard gains. Those are gone. Yeah. And so, Ryan probably I mean, still gets caught, but he does some damage on the way down. Right. I don't know. Like, like you're gonna feel that one. It's like getting hit by a truck. You're gonna like, yeah. You don't. You don't want that. So, but yeah, um, player to watch the old tray. Need it. <laughs> All right, you ready to get to your side of the ball? Um, the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Are we um, doing the recap or the going straight to the players? Now let's do the recap first. Um, let's just start with the man himself, the man, the myth, the legend, Jim Knowles. Um, he had a lot to say. He, like, that's the thing. Jim Knowles is one of those guys who could say, like, we need to be better, and it'll speak like a thousand words. Like, the way he says stuff, it's just like he just speaks so concisely and makes his points and it's not like he's had intense media training he coached at Cornell and Duke like who's really asking him questions at those places um but every time he talks he he just lets you into his world a little bit without giving you the full scope of everything and I think that is the line a coach like that needs to balance and I think that comes from his head coaching experience but um, one thing that really stood out to me, Sonny Styles is training at the high safety. Um, that's the adjuster position. Um, if it's Sonny Styles or Lathan Ransom, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm choosing Sonny Styles. As long as Lathan's on the field, I don't care where they play. That's what I'll say. Yeah, as long as Lathan's on the field and not at the nickel. Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Thank you for being more specific. Lathan cannot play nickel as long as he is the bandit or the adjuster. I don't care who plays which one. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I just think honestly, my biggest takeaway with him was just how much he was talking. Why? And this is partly on the reporters. They always ask about CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles because everyone's so excited about them. But both players, like Knowles has said time and time again, they're ready to go. Like, it's not CJ's fault that Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers have the chance to be two of the best linebackers in the country next year. Um, that's the wrong way to put that. They are the two best linebackers in the country. Uh, well, like, Tommy is the best linebacker in the country. Yeah. Steel, he's got to prove some stuff to me, Steel. Well, I guess since Tommy is so great, they are the two best. Yeah, for sure. Mathematically. No, but I will, um, I will say this, though. I want to I be clear. Hicks and Sonny are always mentioned in the same breath, but they are not the same caliber currently. And yeah. we know this because despite who was on the field and in the national playoff semifinals, there was a package for Sonny. So... I don't believe that Hicks, and that's part of what I, I, I want to get to. I don't believe that Hicks needs to be on the field just like Sonny needs to be on the field. Sonny absolutely has to be on the field. He is one of probably the four most talented players on the defensive side of the ball. CJ Hicks is good and is going to be good, but he is not a better player than Tommy or Steele 
currently today at this exact moment. So we're always going to mention them together because five stars, same class, but there, there's a tier there. There's a hierarchy. There is. And Sonny is there. Sonny is like, if he Sonny doesn't is play, going to play. Yeah, if Sonny doesn't play, it's criminal. Hicks is not at the criminal level. He just needs to play more so that when it's time for him to start next year, it's not the first time he's ever seen the field. There's yeah, Sonny is... In the rotation. If he's not the first guy on the field, he is going to be playing a lot of snaps. CJ Hicks is a guy that Knowles mentioned could play the Jack to get him some on-field experience, could play some specialized roles, like similar to kind of what they did with Sonny last year. So when you talk about those tiers, Sonny is a year ahead, and that's insane given the fact he was 17 last year. But Sonny is also not behind Tommy Eichenberg, who is going to be considered for all the Defensive Player of the Year awards. And I'm going to vote for him. I'm just going to tell you guys now. Um, And Steele, who has the athleticism to really become an NFL prospect at linebacker. um, Those are two guys that you're not just going to take off the field. And we've talked about this in detail. It's not like back in the day when you're just the middle linebacker and you chase the running back, right? Like there is so much you need to learn to be able to be effective against the modern day zone run scheme against these guys, you know, and all the movement, the RPO game. You have to be so knowledgeable in your fits and your fills. And that's where I think CJ still has a long way to go. And most young linebackers do. Yeah. Like, and, and that's why, like, and I don't want to be any, I don't want to be disrespectful. And you can tell me if I'm overstepping a little bit because you played safety and I didn't. But as someone who played linebacker, Linebacker is one of the two or three hardest positions on the field, especially at the college level. There's so much that you have to do and see. And I say it all the time. Linebackers rarely win you a game, but they lose you a game all the time. And so you can't linebacker is very similar to offensive line in the fact that you're rarely going to have a freshman playing linebacker. And as I mentioned on two previous podcasts, the freshman at LSU, he wasn't playing linebacker. He was playing defender. He was best player, playing best he, athlete yeah, on the defense side was, of the ball. He was playing spy most of the time. He didn't read nothing. He didn't he he played see ball, get ball. That's not linebacker. That's not what Jim Knowles, as a linebacker's coach, is asking from his defense. And so CJ can probably play C-ball, get-ball. And if he were at a lesser program or a program that needed that, he probably would play. But that is not what they're asking for from him or our linebackers currently, and that is why he's not ready to see the field. And he's being quote-unquote punished, per se, by the fact that he is playing behind one of the best line, but the best linebacker in the country, and a player who has a chance to be one of the top five linebackers in modern-day Ohio State history. And what I mean by modern-day is 90s to the 2000s because I can't talk about somebody in the fucking 70s. But James Laurinaitis, A.J. Hawk, um, uh, uh, Raekwon McMillan, uh, all of those guys, he has a chance to put his name in that echelon if he has a similar year as to what he just had. And 
you can't play CJ over him. You just you can't like you can't, you can't yeah. look at James Lloydnitis and say we're going to play your backup. Like that's not what happens. And it may be blasphemy to put Tommy there, but dude had 120 sacks, second team All American, and should have won some awards if people understood anything about linebacker. He is a blast from the past, and if he has 100 tackles this year, he's going to win every award imaginable. Like it's it's just going to happen. Listen to me, I'm not going to lead you wrong. If he has a year that he did last year, he's going to win every defensive board imaginable, especially if Ohio State's defense is in the top 10, as it should be. Play him yeah, at Jack. Solve yeah. all our issues. Play him at Jack. Like, <laughs> yeah, 100%. Give him a, get him in that little – that's pretty C-ball, get-ball rule. Roll. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, worst-case scenario, you know, if CJ doesn't work out, you know, being a five-star recruit, like, behind an, a, a linebacker legend, he'll just end up being the head coach of Notre Dame one day. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a, Not that's a bad deal. That, that. <laughs> That's a good one. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, him and Mitchell Melton, I think you have lengthy athletic guys who are freaks. You know, and I think that's – when you have a position – like Jim Knowles has a position built for C.J. Hicks, really, built for guys who might not – like that's why I think Arville Reese's initial role will probably be in that. Like Joshua Mickens – is he a defensive end? Is he a linebacker? No. So you make him, let him be a freak athlete. Let him go do some things. Let him go make some plays. Dial some stuff up with him on the field. Get him that confidence while he's still training out linebacker. And then you're good to go once he's the guy next year. Yeah. And uh, personally, in my selfish reality, I would love to go from two years of, uh, well, technically three, but we're going to say two good years, two years of um, of uh, Steel Chambers and Tommy E to two years of CJ and Gabe Powers. Like that four-year stretch of linebackers, I might like I might start levitating. <laughs> like I might like just put my hands out and start walking on water or something if we have four years of high level and then you add Arvell Reese after that, like I can't even talk about it. So yeah. this is this is the good this is the right timeline. I, I like where we're at right now. I think we have a chance if they keep developing and recruiting, we have a chance to make linebacker not to the extent, right? But make linebacker almost like wide receiver where we know the next guy is going to be good, right? Again, I'm, yeah. it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be from. top 10 picks and that kind of stuff, but we're working to a progression of where we know the next guy is going to be the guy, and that's what we used to have, so be patient. Yeah, now you've got Laurinaitis helping recruit. That's big time. Oh, man, I just don't think it gets better than that. Yeah. I, I just think if Ohio State has a really good year at linebacker this year, um, they'll get Sammy Brown, and that lineage will start, honestly. It already is starting, but it will start. Yeah. Because then you go from Tommy uh-huh. E, you go from you go from Tommy E and Steele to CJ and Gabe to Sammy Brown and Arvell Reese. Like I'm, I'm already walking on water. Like I'm, I'm, I'm already levitating. Like call me Chris Angel, but it's not a trick. It's not a, yeah. not an illusion. I'm actually doing it. Yeah. 
hundred percent. Um, and yeah, and then lastly, Jim Knowles said the defensive breakdowns have haunted him. I want to hear nothing less. Yep. They haunt me. Exactly. And I have nothing to do to fix it. So if they're not haunting you, that's gonna bother me. Why are you getting two million dollars? <laughs> Uh, haunt was just like that was like a very very good word choice there not I have thought about I'm not like yeah I've really looked back and we've done I've been working to like fix these things this offseason no those mistakes have haunted me that, that's that's a more choice yep love every second of that um all right we've got Timmy Walton um I, he really didn't say much um, not like no problem with him not saying much. I feel like there's not much to say about the corners right now. Like they had a good spring. They all stayed healthy for the most part. Um, from everything we heard on the outside, you add Lorenzo Styles to the group for depth. Like he might not play at all, but now you've got seven or eight athletes in the room. Um, it's just a better room right now than it was last year. At this point in time, like straight up, you've got Denzel Burke, who's coming, who was playing really well at the end of last season. You've got Davis and Igby Noson, who came in and just raised the level of competition in the room. Uh, Walton saying Jordan Hancock had probably one of the best springs of the guys. And the word he keeps using with every single corner in the room is very mature, understand the game. And like, that's not something I think you could have said about a lot of the guys in the room last year. Um, And I think that level of maturity is exactly what you want to hear from the cornerback room. Yeah. It is not for how loud like corners are historically for how much they talk. There is a level of maturity like where you have to show up to work. Like if you're an offensive lineman, you can get picked up a little bit by your buddies on the offensive line. At corner, you have to show up to work. You have to show up with a lunch pail in hand, and you have to be ready to fight every day. Yep, you're 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 on that island. <laughs> so, uh, hope you're ready for it. Hope you're ready for whatever it takes. So, um, I love that there's competition. I love that there's a lot of bodies in the room. Um, like people talked a lot of trash about it, but like um, um, Carrie Coombs rotated corners, which most people don't do, and that he could do that because there were so many of them. If we get to a point where we can rotate four corners with no drop off, like who says no? That's where you want to be. Like I mean, like who says no? So uh, yeah. Um, but also, I think Tim Walton shouldn't talk too much because his corners were bad last year and injured. Which the injury thing yeah. probably Coach Mick's fault. But like, again, I don't. Unless Maybe. you're saying that it haunts you, I don't want you talking. I want you yeah. out there working and and and, and, and you know hoping. Go train your corners more. Yeah, exactly. Why aren't they doing back pedals? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, why are you not yeah, on he, watching drills, learning something new? This was the best on the cornerback starting rules. Walton said everything is always open. That's what I like to hear. Yeah. I don't care if you're a freshman All-American. I don't care if you're a freshman All-SEC player. You got to – got corner is the position I think Jimmy Butler represents. Like, you need to be Jimmy Butler at corner. Yeah. You're going to be a great corner. And, and, and honestly, facts, and that's an issue I have with certain people in the Ohio State sphere, right? You get a transfer and you just expect to hand them a position. No. Jihad Carter shouldn't start at nickel. He's got to earn it. And I like that Cam Martinez is pushing him. And if I'm wrong and Cam Martinez, if they're doing the, if they're doing to Cam Martinez what they're doing to Josh Proctor, which is hyping him up even though he's not that good, I'll accept that. 
but you don't hand Josh Simmons the job because he transferred here, right? Right? Like Davidson Ignosin. If he wins the job, I think that's great for us. But I also love that Jordan Hancock took that as a challenge and is, to our knowledge, his best football. beating him out for the job. Because he didn't say, oh, no, you got someone who could potentially take my spot. Let me shrink from my responsibilities and let me pout and cry and complain. No, he said, all right, I'm going to get to work. And he, that's might, a call. he might be beating out a freshman all-SEC player. That's good for us. Like... Yeah, hundred percent. Like, I I don't know. I'm not a guy who annoys. Like, I feel like transfers on paper should be wake up calls for the players on the roster. And if they aren't, then that's when the transfer works and starts. But I feel like both. Uh, I think with the right tackle, with the corners, it's only going to bring out the best and whoever ends up on the field the most. You know, I honestly think corner is like, I don't think you want someone looking over their shoulder at a lot of positions. I think corner might be the one where you're like, I need to win every single rep or I've got that guy behind me who's ready to come in and win every single rep. Um, that might be the one position where I am cool with it. I, I actually disagree with that largely because every, even the best corner is going to get beat. And you need like, no, like corners. There is going to be. It's more the competitiveness. Like, yeah. you need to know. That's that's, that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah. I, I was going to say, yeah. But if you're looking at it like that, that's kind of similar to quarterback, where you need to give them some room to make mistakes, but there needs to be, like, a leash to, like, if you make too many mistakes, we got a guy that's ready to go. Yeah. Like, you can't just go out there and start giving up bombs. Like, you know, you need to play to the scheme. If you're playing good fundamentals and the receiver makes, like, Parker Washington when he mossed whoever, like, you're in great position. Parker Washington's a good football player. Like, shit's going to happen. Like, go back and make the play the next time. And they did. And that's why, like, they ended up winning the football games because they responded. But it's not like – like, think back to last year, Denzel Berg's performance against Parker Washington. When it came game time, time to win, he was there. When yeah. you go back and you think Sean Wade versus Jahan Dotson, no one was looking over Sean's shoulder. And that did that 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 didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. <laughs> so it, it's it's a healthy competition, and I think that's what's been put in that defensive cornerback room. Yeah, love um, it. Yeah, yeah uh, Larry Johnson. Um, he talked about depth, consistency, and the room not being just there yet. Um, We've talked about this probably the most out of any non-quarterback or offensive line positions, the defensive line. Um, This is the most talented front or too deep I think we've had in a long time. Uh, But with that being said, it is not the most experienced too deep we've had. And nobody on the defensive line, whether it's Mike Hall, whether it's Tyleek Williams, whether it's um, Ty Hamilton, whether it's JT or Jack, have shown consistency. They've all shown flashes. They've all shown good moments. But none of them have shown their elite traits at a consistent level for a multitude of reasons. So I think that's the biggest reason the room's not where Larry Johnson wants him to be is they still haven't reached that level of consistency that go and be great every day. But that doesn't come in spring. That comes with the work in spring and the work in fall. So I don't know. I think I, I feel very confident that this defensive line is going to be great this year, but will they be consistently dominant? And that's 
what'll take this defense from being, you know, top twenty, a really good defense, a respected defense across the country to like a feared defense is how good this defense line is. Yeah. But um I know nobody wants me to say this, but if no one on that line is consistent again this year, that's a Larry Johnson problem. Yeah, 100%. So just need to put that out there, which is why I'm happy with him saying that they're not there yet because I feel like he had an issue with kind of annoying people and just playing people because they were older and not because they were good for a while, and that's affected the defensive line. Like, make all of them earn it. Like, please, like, don't just start playing people because they've been there for five years. Like, you've done that enough, and there's a reason we haven't had a good defensive line since Nick Nick Bosa and – I, we had Chase, but that was not a good defensive line. I don't know how many times I have to say that. The line was yeah, not they, good. The bond singularly dominant did their job really well, but I wouldn't call that an elite defensive line. I like maybe if Coop was healthy across them, that, that could have been considered an elite defensive line, but there was just a lot of inexperience there. Um uh, yeah, but overall, I don't think Larry Johnson said much because there's not really a lot to say. He said he likes Jason Moore. Um, that's cool. Like, you recruited him. I hope you like him. Great question there. Um, depth of defensive end, you know, Caden Curry, Kenyatta Jackson, Amari Abor, Mitchell Melton. They'll be the difference there. Um, the only thing that really wasn't brought up and really mentioned was the depth on the interior. Like, you have literally six guys on the roster at the defensive tackle position, now seven with Jason Moore, and you'll have eight with Katie McDonald, but you Is should Jason not Moore be playing D tackle and not D end. I I mean I don't see a path for him at defensive end, if I'm being honest. Interesting. He's a big dude. He's like two seventy five. Six four. Um I always saw him as a three tech. Maybe I'm wrong, but you have three, you have six guys for sure. And then you have Katie McDonald. That is not a lot of true depth on the interior. No. You have four guys really. Need more, need more, need to, need some experience, need to get them ready to play. Oh, I forgot about Antoine Jackson. I guess you have seven guys, but you were right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the only thing really of note with Perry Eliano was just the second year in the scheme. I mean, that's going to be huge for the safety, safety driven defense. Um, uh, the more we talk about the defense, the more I'm like, I remember two years ago when we said 2023, Two is not the year that they won a national championship unless it's something crazy happens. It's 2023 because everyone will be like experienced. And it's just like, man. And, 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 and well, we didn't know about the offensive line struggles then, but we said if the quarterback is good, this is the year that Ohio State should win a national championship. And I'm having a hard time saying that because we're not sure about the quarterback and the offensive line is looks like it could be booty. But man, with, with this defense, like, we could have the best defense in the country. I mean, like if you just far. read off names, if you just read off the names, like it is a scary defense. And it's just like man, it's man. I'm not gonna do that. I promised myself I wouldn't do it at all this offseason. You will not once hear me say Ohio State's winning the national championship this offseason. But man, 
two, I would just say this. Two years ago, I said that this was the year if the quarterback was good. Just that's, and, 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 and this defense is giving me reasons to believe that something positive could happen. You know what? I'm starting to think about it. Maybe CJ should have stayed a year. He should have. If CJ would have stayed, I'm, I would I would scream from every mountain in the world that Ohio State's winning the national championship, and nobody was going to stop him. But hey, I am going to get your money, man. I, I do. And he's going to win the NFL rookie of the year, so we'll, we'll be good. And a landslide. Um, and then yeah, let's go. Let's do defense players to watch. Um. So there's one more thing I wanted to talk about for final thoughts, but I'll remember when we get there. Yeah. My, mine is super quick. Tommy and Steele, I don't have anything to say because I already went through that rant. They are the best linebacker duo in the country. Tommy is going to have a hundred and something tackles. He's going to win every single award. Um, I mean, it, it, it's just unless he gets injured, which he doesn't seem to get injured seriously, he's gonna win the Buckus. He's gonna win first team All American. He's gonna win the 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 Buckus Narguski Award, which is the uh, Big Ten one because the best linebackers in the world come out the Big Ten. Um, He's gonna no, yeah. He's 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 just gonna sweep. Um, and one thing that I want to say that I've I've actually somehow never picked up on, and so I want to make sure that this is correct. Um, while I do this, but I'm fairly positive that for the first time in like literally, I couldn't even tell you how long the top. Two tacklers on Ohio State's rosters were uh, linebackers. Like the yeah, safety, it's been a while. the safeties were the third. Uh, yeah, I was right. Yep, the top two tacklers for Ohio State were linebackers, uh, which I can't tell you the last time that's happened. Tommy had one twenty twelve tackles for loss, two yeah. and a half sacks. Steele had seventy seven six and a half tackles for loss, two sacks. <laughs> And then Lathan Ransom was third, was with 74 tackles. Um, yeah. I think you like probably one, have to go back. Like uh, Raekwon McMillan and uh, Josh Perry? Are they the ones that played together? They might even be further. Like, I don't know. Because like, we've had really good safeties, too. Like, Jordan Fuller had a lot of tackles. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to think like it, like Pete Warner and maybe maybe tough no. one of those years no I think so I, no I don't I don't think so I they got a lot of tackles I don't think so um, hey, let's way, check 2020 over here Whatever the actual answer is, it's been a while, um, and that is a good sign. They are – I mean, and, seven, seven tackles is, is no – it's no script. So, um, especially as a number to what two. I was saying, it needs to feel good too. And last year it felt good with Steele and Tommy. It did not feel great with Pete and Tuff when they did it in 2020, partly because it was the COVID year, partly so they, because they did every game Tuff got ex- – Yeah. Oh, but like he's like to add to it, it's like that just didn't feel great. And you know, it was four out of the five were linebackers in 2020, which probably made it feel even worse. Yeah, that's because we were running a four four a lot of the time, which was weird. That's crazy. That 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 doesn't feel good. <laughs> like, 
I didn't. I didn't feel good about that year. So, yeah, like they 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 were there, but that was that's, that's kind of gross. Um, I guess technically it happened also in 2019 with Malik, Malik Harris and Pete Warren. But like that, that Malik Harris, Malik, yeah, but like, is it Malik Harrison had 75 tackles? Pete Warner had 64. Like. We had three people last year with more tackles than that. Yeah, I mean, you had maybe, maybe four. Like Chase Young with forty six, Baron Browning with forty three. You had a lot of tackles spread around there, um, and that was when we were still playing three linebackers. So tough had fifty five. But point taken, like there wasn't a dominant linebacker. They were all yeah. good. Like Willie Harrison and um, Pete were both NFL level linebackers, but not to the point where it's like. Like last year, our linebackers felt pretty dominant at times. Yeah, like it felt game changing, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And maybe yeah. I was wrong in the instance of the actual individual stats. Like maybe I didn't have that like, exactly right. Tough made but, a lot of tackles, but it never felt like he was changing games. Yeah, and a lot of his tackles were at five and seven yards and not like and I think, that, I, I think that number that the number that really kind of makes what I'm looking at is that tackle for loss and that sack number. Um, Tommy had 12 tackles for loss in three and a half sacks. Um, Steele had six and a half tackles for loss in two sacks. That's 20, 30 tackles for loss between the two of them. Like, that's a number that shows, like, not only are they making plays, but where they are making tackles. Plays. I mean, yeah, they're getting after the ball. Yeah, so. That's where I know you're – that's where I agree with you 100%. Like, it felt different last year. It's going to feel different this year. I I think something we all forget is Steele, his first year at linebacker, was a running back for, like, the first three games of the season. Yeah. So, last year was his first full year as a linebacker practicing, training for that and not to play running back. And now he's got a – and he got banged up in spring, but overall he's got a full year training, studying the film, getting used to fit, understanding the concept and the scheme. And that's the other thing. Last year it was a new scheme for both of them. So, not only were – like Tommy was a freak obviously, but Steele in his second year at linebacker at Ohio State was not only in his second year at linebacker, but he was in his second scheme. Even two years. Yeah. Man, I'm I'm sorry. The 2019 defense was disgusting. Malik everyone will say Malik Harrison didn't fully realize his potential, right? You would agree with that? Yeah. He I had, feel like a lot of people say that. He had 16 and a half tackles for loss and three and a half sacks. Chase yeah. Young had that's pretty freakish. Yeah. And he only had 75 tackles. That's not a great number, but 16 and a half and three and a half sacks out of 75 is crazy. Chase Young, 21 tackles for loss, 16 and a half sacks. Baron Browning, 11 tackles for loss, five sacks. They had three players with double-digit tackles for loss. Devon Hamilton, nine and a half tackles for loss, six sacks. Jay Sean Cornell, seven and a half tackles for loss, four sacks. They had one... Two, three, Come on, Hamilton four, had six five, sacks. Six. That shocks. Seven. They had seven people over five tackles for a loss. They had one, two, three. 
uh, well, this is the point where we were talking about, especially with the defensive line. They only had three people with more than five sacks because Chase and Half had six and a half. But there's so many, so many tackles for loss because of Chase Young's disruptive ability and and different things like that. Like that defense was, they, they were tackling people like no, you weren't getting yards against them. <laughs> like, yeah. Tyreek Smith um, played in eight games. This is just funny for perspective. He had three sacks and five tackles for loss. Never saw that and again. He, yeah. Um, it was just clean the last time we up. saw it. The only time we saw it in 2020. The only time we saw it in 2020 was against Clemson. <laughs> so he saved his best for last. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that defense is absurd. Like, I mean, that was the last great Ohio State defense, right? Yeah. So, and it makes sense. And we didn't win it that year. Disgusting. I will say, I think Chase Young, I don't like maybe this revisionist history, we got to get to my players to watch in a second. But I think Chase Young could have been a difference in that game. Who was who was rushing Joe Burrow when he won that championship against Clemson? I don't know. I don't know. Nobody. Nobody. They weren't stopping Justin Fields. They weren't going to do it. Yeah. I will say, last thing, last thing. Um, it didn't feel like it, and the sack numbers aren't good, but JT had 10 and a half tackles for loss. Like, I think his year was better than some of us like to admit. And I understand, like, looking at box scores and stuff isn't everything, and, and he definitely wasn't as dominant as we wanted him to be. But, like, 10 and a half tackles for loss as a defensive end is a pretty solid number. Yeah. At, if I he would have had 10 and a half tackles for, tackles for loss in six sacks, like, I think we'd look different. I think it's just this, the sack numbers weren't there, and so it kind of was a little iffy. But if he yeah, builds on that, he, I, I think it'll be all right. I think it came because, um, I mean – I thought he had more tackles for loss against Penn State. He had three of those against Penn State. He had almost – he had like 35% of his stats against Penn State. Which is, yeah, you know, not great. <laughs> and That's then great. he had – I mean, he had a decent game against Michigan. Uh, and then he had zero stats against Georgia. Which, not great. <laughs> and, like, you know – for what it's worth, like Chase Young dominated Wisconsin. He dominated everybody in front of him. Um, and not, I'm not saying JT needs to be Chase Young. God, that's not a fair expectation to put on anybody. But he didn't dominate any of the bad teams on the schedule. Yeah, also fair. So, um, last one, and Jack only dominated the bad teams on the schedule. So. <laughs> More consistency, like you said. But who are you watching? Who are your players? My players to watch. Straightforward. Oh. Tywin Malone. Um, oh, you say, yeah, you got my call. I mean, come on. We're we're going to be watching my call. Yeah, come on. Speaking, speaking of consistency, <laughs> Mike Hall. Yeah, speaking of, <laughs> Mike, Hall, Mike Hall's middle name this year needs to be consistency. Um. I got Tywin Malone, the two starting defensive ends, um, Davis and Igby Nosen and Lathan Ransom. Um, Tywin, I, I just think he's a very talented athlete. Um, I think Mike Hall, Tyleek Williams are both very talented athletes. Um, I just think having a third athlete in there, like, you know, Ty Hamilton's really good at the job, right? But he's not necessarily going to explode a game plan with his athleticism. 
Taiwan, I think, in the run game has that ability to be strong and be assertive. And I don't see that in the rest of the room consistently. Like my call for what he is, he's not like a huge defensive tackle. Like he's a freakishly strong, freakishly explosive, freakishly fast. But if an offensive lineman gets leverage on him, he can be moved. Like, and then Ty Leak with consistency in that regard hasn't been there. So I'm just really hoping Tywell Malone and Ty Hamilton can really be anchors in the run game. And if that means splitting those two with the other two, I think you can have a very good unit there. So that's why I'm watching Tywell. Um, plus, like any athlete that's over 300 pounds and could move well on a baseball field and hit home runs, like that's just something that, like, it's like Lincoln Keenholz doing a windmill dunk. There's just athleticism you can't teach. Um, Dave Snigby Nosen, I'm watching him because, well, I, he's my guy. I, I've already made that a statement. Um, two starting defensive ends. It's important that they succeed, JT and Jack. If the defense is going to be great this year, they need to be great. And then my last one, Lathan Ransom. I don't know what his role is going to be exactly. I don't know if Sonny Styles is going to be the high safety, if Lathan's going to be the bandit again. But regardless, I think two years removed now from his broken leg, I feel like this is going to be the year we see him play with the most confidence. And I think this is finally going to be the year we get to see who Lathan Ransom really is as a football player. So I'm excited to see that. And like him in the right position, him in the scheme in year two, he's a smart football player. I just need to see him keep his feet, and he'll be an exceptional player this year. Yep. I think the worst thing about Lathan Ransom is that, like, he had the the bad play in one of the worst moments, and people forgot how good he was before that. Yeah, without a doubt. Which, I mean, uh, listen, one of the, the best players perform in the top moments. So, like, I'm not saying, you know, play people are wrong for that. I think it just kind of sucks a little bit for him and that, like, you know. He was good for the majority of the season. But again, you got to perform. The best players perform in the top moments, and he didn't do that. So it's fair. Yeah, 100%. I mean, then to close out, we're both be watching Sonny Styles and CJ Hicks because they're five star former recruits who are free athletes. So yeah. anytime they get on the field, I hope they make plays. Yep. But, but we, we talked about them earlier too because we got excited and couldn't stick exactly to the show plan. So I don't think we have anything else to say about them. Yeah, with uh, I think that's all we got today. Anything you want to mention in final thoughts before we head out? Uh, the SEC is soft, and I'm, I'm I'm tired of the off season. I'm ready for football season. All right, you choosing uh, NBA Finals, Hemi Butler and the Miami Heat, or Tim Kulai Jokic? That sounds um, bad. <laughs> and the next. you got to say him Yo Kim. You got that's that's slightly better. You got to say Yo Kim, Nikolai Jokic, and him all Murray. See, Hamal Murray is perfect. Jokic, you just gotta call Jokic Jokic. I guess you gotta. You just gotta the Joker. Call, yeah, you just got the Joker's fine. Like that. I'm riding with the Nuggets. Uh, Maybe the Lakers. And if I could live in a world where LeBron lost to the future champion, that's better than in a world he didn't. Yeah, I, I think I love I love the Heat. If I had a favorite team in the NBA, which I don't, it would be the Heat. But I, Nuggets in five. I, maybe Jimmy will, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, gets them to six 
by sheer will and determination. But I'm gonna say Nuggets in five. And if it's I too much offense, yeah, they're good. They're a very underrated defensive team, the Nuggets. And there's just not enough things that Miami does well consistently, I think, if we're being honest. Yeah, I think the biggest part is, like, we saw what Jokic did with AD, and AD, when locked in, is one of the best defensive centers in the league. Bam blocked some shots here and there, but, like, Jokic is going to put Bam in a blender. And if the Heat aren't making threes, which somehow, despite 17 million three-point shooters on their team, they haven't been doing consistently – I think it's tough. The only way they have yeah. a chance is if somehow Jimmy Butler can lock down Hamal, Cur- uh, Hamal Curry, uh, Murray but Curry. Yeah, basically. Um, but if he does if that, Jamal Murray, what does he Steph have on Curry the offensive range jumpers. Yeah, but like if Jimmy locks him down, what can Jimmy give you on the offensive end? So I, Nuggets in five, but I wouldn't be like if, unless um, Jimmy goes for like forty-five and 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 a close-out game and forces game six. Yeah, and I, I'll give Spolster his, his roses. He's a great coach. He'll, he'll have some adjustments, but will they be enough to get it done? I, there's just so many. There's not enough adjustments you can make when you have a seven footer who could knock down threes, mm-hmm. dribble. Like, because Bam, like he's gonna get exhausted, and you need Bam on offense. Like, that's where I think AD got hurt. It's like he had to stick with Nikolai Jokic and like be that way for so long for so many plays that you can't do it on the offense end every night. Yeah. That's talking basketball. The buck off staple. And then, yeah, if any of you guys are going to the golf tournament this weekend, make sure you listen to the show on the way there and on the way home. And honestly, while you're watching the golf, because you don't need to be that locked in. You can see them hit the ball. Yeah, and I didn't know that there was a golf tournament, so <laughs> Jack's tournament, the memorial. I'm just gonna be playing this weekend because the golf course is gonna be up to. Hey, love that. But that's that's all we got, I think, today. It was good talking like hey, it's not real football, but it's like probably the closest thing we could get to it with the coaches talking. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Um, it, you haven't seen the coaches for a while. Didn't get into much recruiting, which is fine with me. Uh, talked about, you know, I, the best linebackers in the country. I say this show is a win, me personally. Yeah, 100%. Um, and then if we want to talk recruiting real quick, um, Jeremiah Smith reaffirmed his commitment to Ohio State. Surprise, surprise. And that's it for me today. Buck off recruiting. Bill Bucks. Go Bucks.